morning. It truly is a blessing to be gathered together in God's house. I greet you in Jesus' name. I truly appreciate the Sunday school lesson, integrity. This morning, I'd like to look at something that we can't see, but it's important. And we all have one. And that is, it's our conscience. There are some sayings that we see sometimes. There is no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. A clear conscience yields a good night's sleep. If it's of interest to you how I came to this subject, a couple Sundays ago we were looking at the Sunday School lesson, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul there mentions pure conscience. And it popped out at me, and we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but it, I thought that might be a good topic to talk about sometime. And as I was, a, as I was studying, I kept going back and thinking that this is too deep. I, I can't handle this. I want to do something else. And in my devotional readings, I came across another, uh, having a sound mind. Then Wednesday night, Alan was dancing all around it in his talk. And in our Sunday school lesson this morning, it also mentioned conscience. So, subject of our conscience. Sometimes we get these pictures, these mental pictures of an angel sitting on one shoulder and a devil sitting on the other shoulder. And there's, con- there's this conflict going on inside our head. Do we do it? Do we not? And there's this back and forth questioning and answering. And uh, it keeps going on. But as a Christian, we have power that we can live above that. We can live above sin. Yes, we can still be tempted. We can still struggle as long as we're in this life. But as a Christian, we have an advantage of having our conscience clear. And that advantage that we have is having the Holy Spirit living in our life to help us, to direct us, to guide us, to prompt us, to speak to us, and to lead us. The Bible primarily speaks of our conscience in the New Testament by that word conscience and it is mentioned 31 times and Paul it's mostly mentioned by Paul the Old Testament though would seem to allude to the conscience and is referred to as the heart so it's not spelled out as conscience but it, it directs itself as being the heart God gave us the conscience as a gift of a moral guide to help guide us. And what 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 is the very first example that we have in the Bible of the conscience working? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3 verse 11. 
We have a very familiar account where Adam and Eve, during the garden, they had this pure relationship with God, the Creator. And this communion that Adam and Eve had with God was marred due to sin. And verse 11, God came looking for them. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of that tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Here it would seem to indicate that there was something in Adam and Eve that spoke to them and showed them that we are no longer in connection with God. Is our conscience captivated by God? A statement that Martin Luther made He said, unless I am convinced by the sacred scriptures or by evident reason, I cannot recant. For my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is either right nor safe. He understood his conscience. Another example that we have in the Bible that my mind went to is David. Turn to 1 Samuel Chapter 24. David's an interesting character. He seemed to have lots of things going his way. Here he is on the run for his life from Saul. Saul is the king. 1 Samuel chapter 24, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and read through the entire chapter just to, to lay the ground. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep to the sheep's coats by the way where was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet and David his men remained in the sides of the cave and the man of David said unto him behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee behold I will deliver thine enemy in thine hand and that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee and then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily and it came to pass after that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto 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 my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went his way. David also rose afterward, went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked, Behind him, David stooped with his face on the earth and bowed himself. And David said, Saul, wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. 
Behold, this day thine eye hath seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee, but mine eye spared, but my eye spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou hurtest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb, proverb of an ancient, Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead, plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, in, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dwelt, dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for thou hast done unto this this day. And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord, that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got them up unto the hold. Here's David. His conscience was so clear that cutting off the garment of the anointed king of Israel, it smote him. It was a struggle. Again, turn to 1 Samuel 26. Verse 7 through 25, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but here, here again, David encounters Saul and could have taken his life, but spared him. Obviously, David was paying attention, listening. Is this right? Did not ignore it. And then as we fast forward and we look into David and how later on in his life he did mess up and he did sin and he tried to cover it up. But it took a visit from the prophet to help him see his way. Certainly our culture around us does not sharpen our conscience. That is a fact. If anything, there is a numbing to violence, 
and callousness to some very gross sins. It is very... natural for people to not like to be guilty and so we make excuses or justifications for our action and we continue to spiral out of control in a survey by the discipleship journal they asked their readers to rank areas of the greatest spiritual challenges to them, and they gave ten of them. Number ten being materialism, number nine being pride, eight, self-centeredness, seven, laziness, six, anger, five, bitterness, four, sexual lust, three, envying, two, gluttony, and number one, lying. In that same survey, the respondents gave two reasons why they were so easy, why they so easily went against their conscience and fell into this sin. Number two, they were physically tired. And number one, they had neglected their time with God. How is it with us? Do we neglect our time with God? Do I neglect my time with God? Am I physically tired? These things can have a play in helping or not helping uh, us keep our conscience pure, on the right track, clear. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Verse 11. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 through 16. For there is no respect of persons with God... For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. But as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the works of the law written in their heart, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's a lot packed in those verses and if I understand this right it's saying that there's going to be a judgment for those that know the law they will be judged by the law and those that are of the Gentiles those of the world They have a conscience and they know of right and wrong as well and they will be judged by what they know. But how much more are we going to be accounted for for having God's Word, the Scripture? 
we hear it, we read it, then do we follow it? We can reason and we can evaluate and try to make wise decisions, but sometimes we make bad choices and our conscience is there and will prick us and will tell us that, you know, I think that was a bad choice. Um, there in those verses in Romans, it talks about uh, verse 15 accusing or excusing. Um, that might not be the verse. There was a verse talked about, it's either going to, it's going to show one way or another. It's going to build you or it's going to destroy you. It's, it's not, it's not a, you, you will know. <clears throat> I remember as a boy, this picture of this boy with his hand in the cookie jar. And there's these brain captions above his head. You know, mom won't see me take this cookie. And so he takes the cookie. But then his conscience says, but your mom will know that you took a cookie and it's back and forth. Another story of a conscience at work of a contractor for a company he had a, a bid to go to this company and he had to represent himself and his business and try to convince this president of this company that he could do this job. He was ushered into this nice room, this office of this president, and was seated in front of his desk. And the meeting was going on. And an assistant came in and interrupted the meeting and whispered into the president's ear, and the president said, just a minute, I need to attend to some important business. I'll be back. While the, con while the contractor was sitting there waiting for the president to come back, he noticed that on the, on the president's desk, there was a paper of a, of a competitor with a bid sheet laying there. And he noticed that it was all filled out. He wanted to see what the bottom line, what the dollar amount was. Well, he couldn't see it. There was a can of pop promptly sitting over top of it and he kept going back and forth trying to figure out if he should see it or not see it finally he convinced himself that this president left this in fuel in full view so yes it's all right for me to see it so he got up moved the can of pop unbeknownst to him that it was a bottomless can full of bb's and the bb's went everywhere now can you imagine that contractor screwing around picking up BBs and the president walking in I don't know if that was a test or not I sometimes companies do that but it, it makes a, a point that you know we we argue with ourselves we go back and forth and we try to convince it's neither right nor wrong but then something happens. I like to suggest that the Holy Spirit 
works with our conscience and helps us sharpen it to know right and wrong. Acts 24, verse 16. Here is Paul writing again. And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. As Christians, we can walk before God with a clear conscience. And we can also have a clear conscience before men. I like how he also uses the word exercise. It's something that it takes effort. Just as exercise is uh, important to our physical being, so is exercising to our conscience good. It won't just happen. It takes effort. The Bible mentions different types of consciences. First Corinthians, you don't have to turn these, I'm just going to go to them quickly. First Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 7 through 12. How be it, there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with consciences of the idol unto this hour eat, if as of things offered unto the idols, and their consciences being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols, and though and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak consciences, ye sin against Christ. A weak conscience. You know, there's some things that in our mind, maybe in our life, in our settings may be right, but maybe for someone else it may not be right. It may be a stumbling block, and we have to be cautious of that. Titus chapter 1, verse 15, where we were this morning. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. I titled that conscience as a soiled conscience, one that is defiled, one that is not pure. First Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That conscience is seared. And first Timothy chapter one verse eighteen and nineteen. This charge I commit unto thee, son, thee, son Timothy, according to the prophet, prophecy which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, with some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. That conscience is a good conscience. And Paul is telling Timothy there that some of them have given up and, and have not held dear and have made shipwreck. What kind of a conscience do you want? What kind of conscience do you have? I trust that we would all have the desire to have a good conscience. A good conscience comes from love and faith. You can find that in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. This is a faithful saying and a worthy of all except acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Actually, I read the wrong verse. Jumped across. Verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So, of a good conscience, charity and a pure heart lead to a good conscience. Do we strive for that? Acts 23, verse 1. Another verse. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Here is Paul saying that he lived in a good conscience. I am serving Jesus and I have no regrets. Later on there in verse 9, it mentions how... Um, actually verse 11... It mentions how uh, the angel came at night following the Lord, stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. Here is Paul. You know, he says, I'm committed. I'm bearing witness. And here in this setting, there was some Jews that had taken up a, uh, I forget what the word was, kind of a... Uh, uh, fast a that they were going to hold till Paul was dead and uh, obviously God wasn't done with Paul yet he bore he had witness of him in Jerusalem but yet he was going to go to Rome as well living a good conscience based on God's standards is the best way to live 
another very vivid example of our conscience is the compass. Now, I know that's somewhat of an old instrument. Nowadays we have GPS and we maybe don't get as lost as maybe what we could have. But you know, the compass is an instrument that gave direction. And sailors used it. Uh, hikers used it. Pilots used it. And uh, I understand they probably still have to use it to some extent. But it's so simple that it's a it's an instrument that always points north. Our conscience is like a compass, and it can point us in the direction. So, physically, a compass, if we use it with a map, it can be very vital to saving us, saving our life. The same with our conscience being a compass in lieu with this map is life-saving. We won't get lost. We will arrive. The Greek word for conscience literally means co-knowledge or knowledge of oneself. Unlike any other earthly creatures that God created, we possess a God-given capacity to know ourselves. In a sense, we can stand back and we can look, we can evaluate, we can examine. Um, there's a moral judgment. We can act the conscience can be a bearer or a judge. Can it can examine and it can examine our actions, our attitudes, our choices. It can guide us to a good decision or warn us against a bad decision. First Corinthians chapter ten. Verses 22 to 33. Why consider the conscience of others? People differ for many reasons. We come from different backgrounds, and we vary greatly. And Paul understood this and realized this in the first century Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are stronger than He. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are not are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the sh shambles that eat, ask no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat. Ask no question for conscience' sake. But if any man say unto you, This is an offering, this is offered 
and sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I be, for if I by the grace be a partaker, why am I an evil spoke? Why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile, nor the Church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul's conscience did not object to food that was offered to idols. He understood that that was God's creation, that God gave food to eat. But if there was a brother that realized that and had problem with that, he was willing to go along with that and not do that for his conscience' sake. Some of those early Christians probably were involved in this form of worship, offering meats to idols, and would have been very offensive to them to consider it. Romans chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the works of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or an offense, or he is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth, is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Do we follow after peaceful things and consider our brother and building our brother? Do we edify? Verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow, let us therefore follow after things that we may edify one another. Do we put our brother, our sister, ahead of what we think or do? Continuing then on in the next chapter there, verse Romans chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to the edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written... The reproach of them that reproacheth thee fell on me. So the question comes to my mind. What is our conscience? How is our conscience? Do we have a good conscience? Do we have a seared conscience? Do we have a soiled conscience? defiled conscience
A seared conscience is one that is numb. There's no feeling in it. There's no uh, life in it. Um, closest thing I could think of is I burn the horns off my calves, and it's a very hot iron. And I would hate to be the calf, but I do it, and I have to do it. It's for their good. But that is a, a searing of that button of that horn, and it kills it. It, it severs the, the blood vessels that feed it. It no longer gives life to it, and it cannot grow. And as time, because of that, it is numb. And go further, they hit it, and it falls off. And you can tell that that hurt. But that area there where that button was, there was no life. There was no connection, and it came off. Our conscience, if it's seared, is no longer um, getting the the connection that it needs to bring life, to convict, to to prompt us, to to direct us, and to guide us. So then, the question I ask myself is, what about an oversensitive conscience? We hear that sometimes. You know, people that have a very sensitive conscience. You know, that can be on the other side. Our feelings and emotions can get out of control. But there's God's Word, and God's Word will stand, and it does not change. If it takes time to sort things out and to, to seek the input of others, do that. It is better, I think, to have a sensitive, a sensitive conscience than to have a seared conscience. One that is sensitive, you know, it is still working. Do I want to be in tune with God? That at the slightest straying, or straying of that target that I'm shooting for, that my conscience will prompt me to get back on track with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Closing, turn to Second Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Again, this is Paul, and this is what he has to say of holding fast, I trust this can be our testimony as well. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing.